Okay, good morning once again. And uh, you guys have your Bibles with you. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. And uh, it's one of the good things about being called in to teach is that you can kind of pick your favorites. <laughs> and and uh, here, this is absolutely one of my favorites, and we're not even going through the whole chapter. We're going to just be covering two verses of it this morning. And, uh, and so these are some of uh, two of my favorite verses in the Bible. So uh, if you guys would turn there, Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to go ahead and pray for our time of study. Father God, you told us that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. And so, God, we invite you here to be just that. Lord, that you specifically would teach each one of us, Lord, myself included, about who you are, God, about your love for us, about our purpose in this world, about the purpose of the world, God. Um, Lord, we know that, that your spirit can can speak to each one of our hearts in unique ways, all at the same time through the same word. Lord, I just pray for that, Lord, that wherever we're at, God, that you would meet us here. Speak to our hearts, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so kind of where we're picking up here is uh, the, the writer of the book of Hebrews. I personally believe it's Paul. I know many other people believe it's Paul. I know there's many other people who don't believe it's Paul. And, uh, you know, that's just one of the fun things that Christians like to argue and debate about. But, uh, you know, so whoever the writer was, we know ultimately it was the Holy Spirit who wrote it. Um, but in chapter 11... He had just gotten done writing and explaining in great deal about the hall of faith. And so it was just a list of examples of all these people throughout the scriptures who had done amazing, amazing things through the Lord just by faith. And these men and women were not ones who were naturally charismatic or gifted or just born leaders. In fact, many of these people led reluctantly. You know, we, we see that with, with Moses, who, who Israel looks back to this day as, you know, the greatest leader that they've ever had. That was Moses. He was our champion. Moses did not want to lead. He argued with God. He fought tooth and nail. And finally, he gave in and allowed God to do that work in his life. Uh, but he was very reluctant. And the word explains that in each one of these people's lives, that it was their faith that led them to be able to do such amazing things. And Paul said... I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What he did not say was, I can do all things because I'm super awesome. And if I believe that, then there's no end to what I can do. He didn't say that. That's not in the Bible. 
might be in the NJOV, which is the new Joel Osteen version, but it is not in the real scriptures. We know that. We can search it. It's not there, not even in the original Greek. And so let's begin here in chapter 12. It says, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. So there, I mean... Short little section there, just two verses, but my goodness, there is so much crammed into that. And he starts out by saying, therefore. So what he's doing is looking back at everything that he had just said, covering that, that hall of faith, all those men and women, because of their testimonies, we are able to have confidence in God's word that when we have faith, we can move mountains. Later in Hebrews uh, the writer's going to say Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That the same works that God did back then, he's going to do today. He promises that he will do those things today. And without faith, we're, we're also told that it's impossible to please God. That if we're just trying to please God by you know, gritting our teeth and working as hard as we can and just, I'm going to be a good person today. Darn it, I'm just going to do it. If that's our heart, it's like, no, that's not going to be pleasing to God. You know, all that's going to do is, is make you realize more and more and more that, no, you can't be a good person on your own. It's only through trusting him and having that faith and allowing him to make that change within you that, that you're going to be able to do anything. But Jesus told us in John 14, 12, he said, truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. And so through his Holy Spirit, the church as a whole, we are continuing to work. We're continuing to do the things that Jesus was doing. And he says, and even greater works than these and they're continuing to happen. Lives are being changed up to this day. And guess what? If the Lord doesn't come back tonight, even tomorrow, the Lord is going to continue to work through his body, through the church. So it says, therefore, since we also... You know, there's a tendency as we look at some of these men and women, the scriptures, almost to deify them, you know, to, to make them into almost a godlike status. Well, sure, no, we're Christians. We, we know that they're not gods. But we almost look at them as if, well, they're made out of something different. You know, you look at, at, at what Elijah did with the 450 prophets of Baal, and he went up against them. And, and how many of us would really have that faith to set up a big fire pit and then douse 12 giant buckets full of water and without a single match or a lighter or a lighter fluid or gasoline or anything, just say, all right, we're going to make a great fire here and ask the Lord to bring it down. I mean, how many of us would be able to do that? And sometimes we can look at what he did and be like, well, 
I, I, I just can't do that. I'm, I'm not made out of that same material. You know, this might be true in, uh, in, in the physical realm, in, you know, like the world of athletes and things like that. There's certain things that professional athletes do that no matter how hard I work out and I try, that I am literally never going to be able to do the things that these people do. And especially now, as I've, you know, advanced a little bit in years, and I see just some of the things that are happening in sports, like I'm really into action sports, and, you know, whether it be skateboarding or mountain biking, I mean, just some of the things that people are doing on mountain bikes now, where they're doing like triple backflips, I look at that and like, okay, that is something that is like literally impossible for me to do at 45 because I would take a crash and I mean, I just fell on my arm the other day and my neck's out and I'm like, ah, okay. <laughs> that wasn't, I didn't even try a backflip. Not even one, let alone three. But, uh, you know, there's things in the physical world that, that, yeah, I mean, you look at these athletes and all right, they're made out of something different. I don't have that in me. And yet... In the spiritual world, the word says, no, guys, we're the same. It says in James 5.17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. So that's another testimony of something that Elijah did. And, and, and he proclaimed that in front of everyone, that it wasn't going to rain. And he had the faith that it was going to happen. And his faith was not in himself. And I think sometimes that's where we get hung up. It's like, oh, you know, I, I couldn't do that. Almost because, well, I, maybe I just don't trust God enough. Or, or maybe in, in a lot of times that hinge is on us. But the hinge has to be on God because it didn't not rain because Elijah was just great enough to make it happen. It was that he just trusted God and knew that God was going to do that. So we're in the, the, the same company as all these people. We're told that the Old Testament saints, they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink that the same stuff that we're receiving from the Lord, they had back then. They were able to do that. And then, you know what? We've got something kind of in our favor that goes beyond what some of the Old Testament saints had. Because in John 16, 7, Jesus told us, nevertheless, I'm telling you, it is for your benefit that I go away. He was talking to the disciples when he was speaking to them about going to the cross and dying and then rising, uh, going, going to the Father. But he says, it's to your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. And each of us now has 24-7 access to the Lord where, you know, when Jesus was walking the earth, he was one man in one place at one time. And so the disciples, you know, would have to fight for their time. And so many of the crowds, they would just, you know, come around him in, in these multitudes because everybody wanted to see him, but he was only in one place at one time. And each one of us has full access to him here and now, today, and every day. And so from there... 
It says that we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us. And uh, there's different interpretations of what this means. And uh, you know what? I, I believe when it says witnesses, it's not witnesses to our actions and our lives being lived out, but it's their witnesses to how great the Lord is and how much he can accomplish in a person's life if they just surrender it to the Lord. And the word witnesses here is the Greek word martis, which is where we get our word martyr. And the word means a witness in like a legal or a historical sense, as in being a spectator of something. As we're being led by the Lord, that's pretty much how it works, is that we just watch him work. I don't know how many of you guys have had that where, you know, you're speaking to a neighbor or a friend and the Lord just gives you a, a word and you're speaking to them and you're like, I don't even know how those words came out of my mouth. Like, I wouldn't have said that in a normal context. But it's almost like you step back and you're a spectator and you're watching the Lord work through you. And it's like, I mean, I tell you, there are times where I, I've been up preaching at, at a youth group or something like that. And there's one time in particular where I'm coming down, just my head hung low and going, man, I sure blew it that time. And this kid comes up to me who I had been trying for years to break through. And he comes up to me just in tears, just broken. And he's like, man, your message hit me so hard. And I'm looking around. <laughs> Somebody preached before me? Like, what? But that's really what it is. It's like, I certainly know it wasn't me. That was the Lord. And so I was able to just kind of step back and watch him, watch him work. And, uh, you know, I, I love how Alan Redpath puts it. In, uh, he, he wrote a book about the life of David. And he says, the Bible never flatters its heroes. You know, so we have these heroes of the faith, but they're never flattered as if the Lord makes it look like they never did anything wrong, and that's why they were used in such great ways. Abraham and Sarah, their lack of trust was never hidden. Jacob's deception was not swept under the rug. Moses's doubt of God's power to speak through him, that was clearly shown, as was David's sin with uh, Uriah and Bathsheba. You know, all of these heroes of the faith, God clearly showed that, yes, they have their weaknesses, they have their faults and their failures, and yet God is still powerful. And that's why, you know, sometimes that mental block that we have that says, oh, no, 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 God, you can't use me because this, that, and the other thing. And I remember my greatest when God was calling me into full-time ministry, that was, that was my biggest roadblock that I was trying to throw in front of the Lord is like, God, you know me better than anyone. You got the wrong guy. I am not ministry material. There's no way. I mean, I'll serve you for the rest of my life, but ministry, pastor, no, you, I'm the wrong guy. And, and God just kept, you know, showing me. And eventually, you know, how he spoke to me was, I've, I've set before you an open door. You can choose not to walk through it, but you can't say I didn't open it for you and I didn't call you to it. And so that's finally when I, okay, God, <laughs> I'll do it. You know, but, but here's, 
Here's a list of people that we are shoulder to shoulder with in the faith. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. Like all those guys, the word says we're shoulder to shoulder with them. We're on the same team. We're, we're fighting the same battle. We have the same gifts that they have. And here's a list of the things that were accomplished through the faith in the same God that we serve today. In Hebrews 11, 33 through 38, it says, By faith, these men and women conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength in weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Other people were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they died by the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and in holes in the ground. You know, there's, there's a lot of us today that, you know, we shrink back at what God might have for us out of fear that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do that. And a lot of times that's the key. Yes, you are not going to be able to do that. You need to let God do it through you and it'll happen. So from there, he said, let us lay aside every hindrance. And so first off, there's a distinction between a hindrance and a sin, because he says, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. So hindrances can be things that are not in and of themselves sinful. They can be things that for one person may be totally fine to do. Like I, I knew a guy uh, years ago who um, just really tried to tell me how, you know, if, if I have a TV in my home, that, that that's just sin, that, that's going to tear you down and, and, uh, and you're not walking in the Lord if you've got a TV in your home. And it's like, you know, for some people, yeah, if, if, if that's dragging them away from the Lord and the Lord has convicted them, you know, then yeah, get rid of that TV, but there's, there's some of us who, yeah, sure, I can have a TV and not be stumbled by it and, and only watch a certain amount of it and not be just totally tied to it. You know, but even in things in life and ministry that we're a part of, uh, there's a saying out there that, that says, good is the enemy of great. And so sometimes there's a great thing that God wants us to be doing. And instead, we're wrapping ourselves up with, you know, something that could be good, but it's not everything that God has for us. And so we always need to be searching our hearts, searching the Lord, and just, Lord, is this where I need to be today? Just because it's where I was supposed to be yesterday doesn't mean it's where I'm supposed to be today. Jesus told us that where I am, there my servant will be also. And Jesus is always on the move. He doesn't just stay in one place all the time. You notice that in his earthly ministry, he was always moving around. And there were people that, hey, camp out here. You know, we're going to worship you right here. You stay here forever. He's like, nope, I'm on the move. And isn't that how we are 
as servants of God, there's so many times where it's like, oh, I just experienced this wonderful thing and, and God, just stay right here. We want this to be like this forever. And Jesus is like, nope, I got a new work to do tomorrow. That's where I'm going. And so for all of us, you know, that if, if there's a hindrance in our lives, if, if there's something that, hey, maybe it was good for us to do yesterday, it might not be the best thing for us to be doing today. So just to be in prayer all the time, just seeking the Lord for what he wants us to do. And then it says, and the sin that so easily ensnares us. You know, this is also called a besetting sin. Just one that gets us every time. You know, and maybe your besetting sin is different than mine, and it's not that each one of us has to have one. I mean, we're, we're all equally prone to sin, but sometimes, you know, either through uh, past life decisions, the, you know, things that we were engaged in, either before or after coming to the Lord, maybe, you know, the devil's got a much bigger stick that he can throw in front of our feet and trip us up with. And, uh, and, and we can each have our own. Um, but in Genesis 4, when Cain's offering was rejected, God told him, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And so God has really told us that it's possible for us to rule over sin in our lives. You know, in, in 1 Corinthians 10, it says, God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, notice this, that he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to escape. So when we're tempted to sin, guess what? Every single time, God's got, you know, just like that exit door right over there with the green light on it, that God, every single time we're tempted to sin, God's like, exit right here, get out. And he's the one who provides that way of escape for us every single time. And God told the Israelites in the Old Testament, and the word says that all those things happened to them as examples for us. When they entered the land, he told them to completely drive out the inhabitants of the land, every single one of them. You know, don't, if, if some people are just super nice, you know, but they're still worshiping their false gods and everything, that he goes, I don't care. Drive them out, all of them. What the re representation was in the life of a Christian, being able to drive out everything that is going to tempt us to sin, everything that is going to pull us off of the path that God has put in for us, that anything that distracts us from that, that we're to get rid of, to drive out all the inhabitants of the land, and again, it's possible to do that through him. And it says, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. And guys, and in the Christian life, endurance is key. You know, it really doesn't matter how well you start out if you don't finish well. I remember mountain biking with my son, Matt, and uh, we were in the, the Santa Cruz Mountains and, and had an area where my wife dropped us off and then we were able to ride all the way back to the cabin that we were staying at. 
And, uh, and, and for most of the ride, you know, I'm, I'm waiting around for Matt. He was still a, a little bit younger. His legs weren't as strong yet. And he beats me on the climbs now. He, he just kills me. <laughs> but uh, back then, you know, I'm, I'm having to wait for him more often than not. But, you know, we get about a half a mile from the cabin and he just starts turning on the jets. And he's going and he's going and he's going. And he gets all the way to the cabin. And he's like, I beat you. And I'm like, yes, you did. <laughs> and guys, like in a marathon or, I mean, I don't care if it's football. You look at what the Chiefs did last year. And they came from behind. They were getting squashed by these other teams. And they came back and won. And guess what? The teams aren't getting extra awards for winning at halftime. You get the award for winning in the end for getting that absolute victory. And I'm a 49er fan, so I was pretty bummed about that Super Bowl. <laughs> I'm like, 20 to 10, yes, yes, no. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's saying let us run with endurance. When I was a young believer, um, I, I started walking with the Lord for the first time when I was 23. And I remember when I first came to the Lord of just thinking, man, I've wasted so much of my life and, and just almost just seeing it as a sprint, like I've got to gain back everything that I lost. And that's totally fine. But you go five, 10, 15 years in the faith, and you become aware that this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. There's no prize for running super far and then falling down, running out of gas. In Galatians, it says, you know, therefore, let us not grow weary in doing what is right. In due season, we're going to reap if we don't faint. And, and so for all of us, just to continue, and if you feel burnt out, it's time just to take some rest in the Lord. Because, again, that's a huge thing that's presented to us in the book of Hebrews is taking that rest in Jesus sitting back and letting him refresh you. Because if, if you're wearing out, if you're burning out, it means you're doing it in your own strength. And so you just go back to the source of life and allow him to fill you. And then it says, uh, you know, from there, that race that lies before us, each one of us has a race that's set before us. My race is not your race. Your race is not my race. And we get thrown off track when we start looking at the lives of other people. Maybe how God is using certain people or things that he's doing with them or, or things that they're a part of that, that, that you're missing out on. You know, you're only called to run your race. And, and we don't compare ourselves with other people. You know, Peter made that mis mistake after Jesus rose from the dead, he's sitting there on the beach talking with them. And, uh, and he tells Peter that, hey, guess what? In so many words, you're going to die a horrible death. And Peter's like, well, what about John? <laughs> As if it's kind of funny because the, the thought process behind that is I'm okay with dying a horrible death as long as John dies a horrible death too. <laughs> He beat me to the tomb, and he was going to write about it. He told me. And so as long as he dies a grisly, horrible death, I'm okay with doing it myself. I'm like, wait a minute. 
And in so many words, Jesus told him, hey, Peter, mind your own business. (laughs) You know, he says that, what is it to you if I want John to live until I come back? What does that matter to you? He says, you follow me. And for each one of us, as we look around it, you know, friends, family, I mean, whoever it is, we just need to be concerned about the race that we are running. When I moved to Truckee, one of the assistant pastors there, Lee Matthews, uh, who his son-in-law is actually now the pastor of Regeneration Calvary in Sandpoint, um, but uh, he gave me this little poem, and it was called, Others May, You Cannot. And I remember looking around, I mean, there was, there was a church in town that was doing really well, and uh, obviously paying their pastors really, really well because they all had like brand new lifted trucks. They all owned their homes. And, you know, and a starter home in Truckee was 500,000. I mean, that's for like a two bedroom, two bath little place. And, uh, and, and I'm looking around like they all own their own homes. They're driving these nice cars. And there was a part of me that was just kind of like, oh, that'd be nice be nice to be able to pay all of our bills. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I remember God just clearly speaking to me, others may, you cannot. That's not your race. You, and God was just teaching me, saying, you know I called you where you're, where you're at right now, Eric, huh? I'm like, yeah, I know that. Okay, stop complaining. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of that between me and the Lord. <laughs> But it says keeping our eyes on Jesus. The the New American Standard, it puts it uh, fixing our eyes upon Jesus. And I can't think of a better way to live my life. You know, keeping my gaze fixed straight on him and not looking away. You know, it's 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 kind of like a fighter pilot that that has got its his enemy on on target lock. Like, that's his mission. That's what he's supposed to do. He's got him on target lock, not getting away. And, and that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing with Jesus is, is just keeping our eyes straight on him. And, uh, and wherever he moves, that we're moving with him. And that every single day, we're saying, where are you, Lord? I want to be where you are today. It says that he is the source and the perfecter of our faith. So Jesus, number one, is the source of all faith, meaning that he's the beginning of that faith, the supplier of that faith. And he's also the perfecter of all faith, meaning that he will use what little faith we have and he will grow it and add to it and bring it to perfection. That he's the one that does all that. In Colossians 1.18, it says, He, Jesus, is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have the first place in everything. He is the source of faith. And then in Revelation 1.5, just to excerpt, it says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Philippians 1.6, it says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And that's something that is so comforting to know that 
I am not responsible for making this life perfect before Jesus comes back. I am responsible for saying, Lord, here's this broken pile of mess. I love that, that song that we sang, Broken Vessels. It says, all these pieces broken and scattered in mercy gathered, mended and whole. That, that's our lives, guys. There's not a one of us that can come to God and you know, present this glorious offering of a perfect life. Lord, here I am, you can have me. And I've, I've talked with many people when they first come to the Lord, they first get saved and they're like, oh God, you got a winner now. You have no idea how many cool things I've done in my life and how you can use that. And God's like, okay, I got to break you of that. <laughs> when Moses came to the Lord, he was a, a son of Egypt, but he was in the Pharaoh's household. And God's like, we got to get that out of you. Go to the desert. We're going to break you down for 40 years. You've been built up for 40 years in the ways of the world. We got to break you down for 40 years and then you're usable. And really that's what it is. It's just presenting just broken pieces of ash and dust and saying, Lord, here I am. You can do something awesome with it. And he can. And then it says about Jesus that for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross. So this joy, what is that joy that laid before him? It doesn't specifically tell us, but it's us rejoicing in the presence of the Father. It's so awesome to realize that, you know, when Jesus was in the garden, uh, I, I paraphrase, but he told the Father, I don't want to do this. That he was in such stress over what he knew that he had to do over carrying the weight of the sin of the entire world. Any of you guys ever had guilt over something that you've done that just weighs on you? Jesus took the guilt and the shame of the sins of every man, woman, across all of history, past and future. Took every single one of those upon himself at one time and was separated from the Father. He knew that that was coming up and he told the father, I don't want to do this. He said, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And the joy that carried him through was knowing that that sacrifice would bring us to the father, that we would be separated from our sins as he was separated from the father and that we would be able to rejoice with him for all of eternity. That's what carried him through. And Jesus said in John 10, 18, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it again. And you think about that power. He said, I have the power to lay it down. Um, well, you know, that doesn't take a lot of power, but in Jesus's world, it did because he had the power to stop that crucifixion at any moment. All he had to do was not even speak a word. All he had to do was think a thought. And all of those Romans could have just exploded and he could have been off the cross, pain-free, totally fine at any moment. And yet he chose the suffering. He said, I have the power to, take, to lay my life down and I have the power to take it up again. It says that he, he despised the shame. And I think 
unintentionally a lot of times, but just in, in, in the same way that we kind of can tend to deify some of the heroes of the faith, that in, in some ways that we can minimize the suffering of Jesus, thinking, well, he was God. Of course he was able to go through that. You know, it probably, you know, wasn't even all that bad. You know, and, and, and of course, we'd probably never think that out loud, but I think some of us can be tempted to, to think that. Well, oh yeah, you know, Jesus suffered, but he was God, so, you know, he got through it. It's like, wait a minute. He was the son of man, and he suffered as a man. He didn't embrace or enjoy that shame. He despised it. In Isaiah 53.3, it says that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. And yet he endured all of that for us. And it says from there that he sat down at the right hand of God. And this just kind of sums it all up, that, that it's such an encouraging statement. Jesus is not up there pacing and worrying about what's going on in the world and, and worrying about how he's going to solve every problem. You know, in, in our own lives, what creates worry? Isn't it the feeling of not being able to control your own circumstances? Like you're not going to be able to control something that may or may not happen to you. You know, we worry about our finances when, when we feel that they're out of control, that we don't have to, enough to meet the demands that are on us. You know, and, and, and so worry kind of boils down to the feeling of not being in control. And yet God is in complete control. Like none of this has surprised him. He saw all of these events play out before he ever formed the world. He knew exactly what was going to be happening in 2020. And even the best of the prophets out there did not. And, uh, you know, and, and I'm just talking about, you know, worldly prophets, people making predictions about 2020 in 2019. Oh, yeah, it's going to be a great year for this. this, and this. No, <laughs> no, ended up not being that way. You know, God's up there. He's seated. He set it all into place. And now he's just watching it unfold exactly how he set it up to do. In Psalm 2, 1 through 9, it says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Do we not see that happening today? And they say, let us tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. And then it says, the one who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. God's sitting in the heaven and watching all of these evil men plot and scheme and do all of these evil things. And he's laughing. <laughs> he's like, oh, watch. This guy thinks this is going to work. 
<laughs> okay, you threw off my plan. What am I going to do now? <laughs> it says that the Lord is literally sitting in the heavens laughing. You know, you read to the end of Revelation, and, and, it, and it says that they literally try to turn like physical guns, human-made weapons on the Lord who created everything, that they're going to try and turn guns against him. And guess what? It's not going to work. <laughs> so the Lord is over all. He sees all. He's in complete control. And our lives are only in complete control when we surrender them to him. And so today, God's given each one of us that opportunity. You want to experience the peace and the security that God himself is experiencing as he sits on the throne, surrender yourself to him and he'll give you that peace. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you've given us that promise that you are in control. No matter what things look like through the lens of our eyes, God, we know that through the lens of scripture, You've got it all sorted. Everything's handled. And this is all playing out exactly how you've told us that it will. Lord, I just pray that each one of us would be able to entrust our lives to you. Lord, knowing that you're good, knowing that you're gracious, knowing that you love us. Lord, knowing that if we truly give you everything that is ours, all you're going to do is multiply and just Make us increase, God. And so often, not in the ways that we think that you're going to make us increase. God, I just pray that, uh, that you would continue to minister to us throughout this day, throughout this week. Keep us close to your heart. In Jesus' name, amen.